Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. As many of our listeners know, I enjoy stories from the American Old West, and this story, The Girl Who Got Rattled, by Stuart Edward White, is a great example. I'll share a little bit about Stuart Edward White with you. He was an American author and spiritualist whose writing focused on both nature and human nature at a time when America was starting to lose its vast wilderness. He wrote westerns, camping journals, outdoor adventure fiction, and about pioneers who passed through or settled in rugged country. His writing style was pithy and plain-spoken, and he enjoyed describing details about hunting, fishing, cabin building, logging, guns, and other wilderness survival skills. He grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he loved outdoor living and natural history. He incorporated his skills and experiences in his works. Theodore Roosevelt complimented White as the best man with both pistol and rifle who ever shot at Roosevelt's Sagamore Hill Rifle Range. I hope you enjoy this short story western as much as I did. This is one of the stories of Alfred. There are many of them still floating around the West, for Alfred was in his time very well known. He was a little man, and he was bashful. That is the most that can be said against him. But he was very little, and very bashful. When on horseback, his legs hardly reached the lower body line of his mount, and only his extreme agility enabled him to get on successfully. When on foot, strangers were inclined to call him Sonny. In company, he never advanced an opinion. If things did not go according to his ideas, he reconstructed the ideas, and made the best of it. Only he could make the most efficient best of the poorest ideas of any man on the plains. His attitude was a perpetual, sidling apology. It has been said that Alfred killed his men diffidently, without enthusiasm, as though loath to take the responsibility. And this in the pioneer days on the plains was either frivolous affectation, or else Alfred. With women he was lost. Men would have staked their last ounce of dust at odds that he had never in his life made a definite assertion of fact to one of the opposite sex. When it became absolutely necessary to change a woman's preconceived notions as to what she should do, as, for instance, discouraging her riding through quicksand, he would persuade somebody else to issue the advice. And he would cower in the background, blushing his absurd little blushes at his second-hand temerity. Add to this narrow, sloping shoulders, a soft voice, and a diminutive pink-and-white face. But Alfred could read the prairie like a book. He could write anything, shoot accurately, was at heart afraid of nothing, and could fight like a little catamount when occasion for it really arose. Among those who knew, Alfred was considered one of the best scouts on the plains. That's why Caldwell, the capitalist, engaged him when he took his daughter out to Deadwood. Miss Caldwell was determined to go to Deadwood. A limited experience of the ladies' sort, where they have wooden floors to the tents, towels to the tent poles, and expert cooks to the delectation of the campers, had convinced her that roughing it was her favorite recreation. So, of course, Caldwell Sr. had, sooner or later, to take her across the plains on his annual trip. This was at the time when wagon trains went by way of Pierre on the north and the South Fork on the south. Incidental Indians, of homicidal tendencies and undeveloped ideas as to the propriety of doing what they were told, made things interesting occasionally, but not often. There was really no danger to a good-sized train. The daughter had a fiancé named Alan who liked roughing it too, so he went along. He and Miss Caldwell rigged themselves out bountifully and prepared to enjoy the trip. At Pierre, the train of eight wagons was made up, and they were joined by Alfred and Billy Knapp. These two men were interesting, but tyrannical on one or two points, 
"'such as getting out of sight of the train, for instance. "'They were also deficient in reasons for their tyranny. "'The young people chafed, "'and finding Billy Knapp either imperturbable or thick-skinned, "'they turned their attention to Alfred. "'Allen annoyed Alfred, "'and Miss Caldwell thoughtlessly approved of Allen. "'Between them they succeeded often in shocking fearfully "'all the little man's finer sensibilities. "'If it had been a question of Allen alone, "'the annoyance would soon have ceased.' Alfred would simply have bashfully killed him. But because of his innate courtesy, which so saturated him that his philosophy of life was thoroughly tinged by it, he was silent and inactive. There is a great deal to recommend a plane's journey at first. Later there is nothing at all to recommend it. It has the same monotony as a voyage at sea, only there is less living room, and instead of being carried, you must progress to a great extent by your own volition. Also the food is coarse, the water poor, and you cannot bathe. To a plainsman, or a man who has the instinct, these things are as nothing in comparison with the charm of outdoor life, and the pleasing tingling of adventure. But woman is a creature wedded to comfort. She also has a strange instinctive desire to be entirely alone every once in a while, probably because her experiences, while not less numerous than man's, are mainly physical, and she needs occasionally time to get thought up to date. "'so Miss Caldwell began to get very impatient. "'The afternoon of the sixth day, "'Alfred, Miss Caldwell, and Alan "'rode along side by side. "'Alfred was telling a self-effacing story of adventure, "'and Miss Caldwell was listening carelessly "'because she had nothing else to do. "'Alan chafed lazily when the fancy took him. "'I happened to have a limb broken at the time,' "'Alfred was observing, parenthetically, in his soft tones. "'And so,' "'What kind of a limb?' asked the young Easterner, with direct brutality. He glanced with a half-humorous aside at the girl, to whom the little man had been mainly addressing himself. Alfred hesitated, blushed, lost the thread of his tail, and finally in great confusion reined back his horse by the harsh Spanish bit. He fell to the rear of the little wagon train, where he hung his head, and went hot and cold by turns in thinking of such an indiscretion before a lady. The young Easterner spurred up on the right of the girl's mount. "'He's the queerest little fellow I ever saw,' he observed, with a laugh. "'Sorry to spoil his story. Was it a good one?' "'It might have been if you hadn't spoiled it,' answered the girl, flicking her horse's ears mischievously. The animal danced. "'What did you do it for?' "'Oh, just to see him squirm. He'll think about that all the rest of the afternoon, and will hardly dare look you in the face next time you meet.' "'I know. Isn't he funny?' "'The other morning he came round the corner of the wagon "'and caught me with my hair down. "'I wish you could have seen him.' "'She laughed gaily at the memory. "'Let's get ahead of the dust,' she suggested. "'They drew aside to the firm turf of the prairie "'and put their horses to a slow lope. "'Once well ahead of the canvas-covered schooners, "'they slowed down to a walk again. "'Alfred says we'll see them tomorrow,' said the girl. "'See what?' "'Why, the hills. "'They'll show like a dark streak.' "'Down past that butte there. "'What's its name?' Uh, "'Porcupine Tail. "'Oh, yes, and after that it's only three days. "'Are you glad?' "'Are you?' "'Yes, I believe I am. "'This life is fun at first, "'but there's a certain monotony in making your toilet "'where you have to duck your head "'because you haven't room to raise your hands, "'and this barreled water palls after a time. "'I think I'll be glad to see a house again. "'People like camping about so long.' "'It hasn't gone back on me yet.' 
"'Well, you're a man and can do things.' "'Can't you do things?' "'You know I can't. "'What do you suppose they'd say "'if I were to ride out just that way for two miles? "'They'd have a fit.' "'Who would have a fit? "'Nobody but Alfred, "'and I didn't know you'd gotten afraid of him yet. "'I say, let's do it. "'We'll have a race, and then come right back.' "'The young man looked boyishly eager. "'It would be nice,' she mused. "'They gazed into each other's eyes "'like a pair of children.' "'and laughed. "'Why shouldn't we?' urged the young man. "'I'm dead sick of staying in the moving circle "'of these confounded wagons. "'What's the sense of it all, anyway?' "'Why, Indians, I suppose,' said the girl, doubtfully. "'Indians!' he replied, with contempt. "'Indians! "'We haven't seen a sign of one since we left Pierre. "'I don't believe there's one in the whole blasted country. "'Besides, you know what Alfred said at our last camp?' "'What did Alfred say?' "'Alfred said he hadn't even seen a teepee trail "'and that they must all be up hunting buffalo. "'Besides that, you don't imagine for a moment "'that your father would take you all this way to Deadwood "'just for a lark if there was the slightest danger, do you?' "'I don't know. I made him.' "'She looked out over the long, sweeping descent "'to which they were coming "'and the long, sweeping ascent that lay beyond. "'The breeze and the sun played with the prairie grasses, "'the breeze riffling them over.' "'and the sun silvering their undersurfaces thus exposed. "'It was strangely peaceful, "'and one almost expected to hear the hum of bees "'as in a New England orchard. "'In it all was no sign of life. "'We'd get lost,' she said, finally. "'Oh, no, we wouldn't,' he asserted, "'with all the eagerness of the amateur plainsman. "'I've got all that figured out. "'You see, our train is going on a line "'with that butte behind us and the sun. "'So if we go ahead and keep our shadows "'just pointing to the butte,' "'We'll be right in their line of march.' "'He looked to her for admiration of his cleverness. "'She seemed convinced. "'She agreed, and sent him back to her wagon "'for some article of invented necessity. "'While he was gone, "'she slipped softly over the little hill to the right, "'cantered rapidly over two more, "'and slowed down with a sigh of satisfaction. "'One alone could watch the directing shadow as well as two. "'She was free and alone.' It was the one thing she had desired for the last six days of the Long Plains journey, and she enjoyed it now to the full. No one had seen her go. The drivers droned stupidly along, as was their wont. The occupants of the wagon slept, as was their wont. And the diminutive Alfred was hiding his blushes behind clouds of dust in the rear, as was not his wont at all. He had been severely shocked, and he might have brooded over it all the afternoon, if a discovery had not startled him to activity. On a bare spot of prairie, he had discerned the print of a hoof. It was not that of one of the train's animals. Alfred knew this, because just to one side of it, caught under a grass blade so cunningly that only the little scout's eyes could have discerned it at all, was a single blue bead. Alfred rode out on the prairie to right and left, and found the hoof prints of about thirty ponies. He pushed his hat back and wrinkled his brow, but the one thing he was looking for he could not find— the two narrow furrows made by the ends of teepee poles dragging along on either side of the ponies. The absence of these indicated that the band was composed entirely of bucks, and bucks were likely to mean mischief. We'll return to our story right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to The Girl Who Got Rattled by Stuart Edward White. He pushed ahead of the whole party, his eyes fixed earnestly on the ground. At the top of the hill he encountered the young Easterner. 
"'the latter looked puzzled in a half-humorous way. "'I left Miss Caldwell here a half a minute ago,' "'he observed to Alfred, "'and I guess she's given me the slip. "'Scold her good for me when she comes in, will you?' "'He grinned with good-natured malice "'at the idea of Alfred scolding anyone. "'Then Alfred surprised him. "'The little man straightened suddenly in his saddle "'and uttered a fervent curse. "'After a brief circle about the prairie, "'he returned to the young man. "'You go back to the wagons "'and wake up Billy Knapp "'and tell him this, "'that I've gone scouting some "'and I want him to watch out. "'Understand? "'Watch out.' "'What?' began the Easterner, bewildered. "'I'm a-going to find her,' said the little man, decidedly. "'You don't think there's any danger, do you?' asked the Easterner, in anxious tones. "'Can I help you?' "'You do as I tell you,' replied the little man, shortly, and rode away. He followed Miss Caldwell's trail quite rapidly, for the trail was fresh. As long as he looked intently for hoof-marks, nothing was to be seen. The prairie was apparently virgin— but by glancing the eye forty or fifty yards ahead, a faint line was discernible through the grasses. Alfred came upon Miss Caldwell seated quietly on her horse in the very center of a prairie-dog town, and so, of course, in the midst of an area of comparatively desert character. She was amusing herself by watching the marmots as they barked, or watched, or peeped at her, according to their distance from her. The sight of Alfred was not welcome, for he frightened the marmots. When he saw Miss Caldwell... "'Alfred grew bashful again. "'He sidled his horse up to her and blushed. "'I'll show you the way back, miss,' he said, diffidently. "'Thank you,' replied Miss Caldwell, with a slight coldness. "'But I can find my own way back.' "'Yes, of course,' hastened Alfred, in an agony. "'But don't you think we ought to start back now? "'I'd like to go with you, miss, if you'd let me. "'You see, the afternoon's quite late.' "'Miss Caldwell cast a quizzical eye at the sun.' "'Why, it's hours yet till dark,' she said, amusedly. Then Alfred surprised Miss Caldwell. His diffident manner suddenly left him. He jumped like lightning from his horse, threw the reins over the animal's head so he would stand, and ran around to face Miss Caldwell. "'Here, jump down,' he commanded. The soft southern burr of his ordinary conversation had given place to a clear incisiveness. Miss Caldwell looked at him amazed. Seeing that she did not at once obey— "'Alfred actually began to fumble hastily "'with the straps that held her riding skirt in place. "'This was so unusual in the bashful Alfred "'that Miss Caldwell roused and slipped lightly to the ground. "'Now what?' she asked. "'Alfred, without replying, "'drew the bit to within a few inches of the animal's hoofs "'and tied both fetlocks firmly together with a double loop. "'This brought the pony's nose down close to his shackled feet. "'Then he did the same thing with his own beast.' Thus neither animal could so much as hobble one way or the other. They were securely moored. Alfred stepped a few paces to the eastward. Miss Caldwell followed. "'Sit down,' said he. Miss Caldwell obeyed with some nervousness. She did not understand at all, and that made her afraid. She began to have a dim fear lest Alfred might have gone crazy. His next move strengthened this suspicion. He walked away ten feet and raised his hand over his head, palm forward. She watched him so intently that for a moment she saw nothing else. Then she followed the direction of his gaze and uttered a little sobbing cry. Just below the skyline of the first slope to eastward was silhouetted a figure on horseback. The figure on horseback sat motionless. "'We're in for a fight,' said Alfred, coming back after a moment. "'He won't answer my peace sign, and he's a Sioux. We can't make a run for it through this dog town. We've just got to stand him off.' 
He threw down and back the lever of his old forty-four Winchester and softly uncocked the arm. Then he sat down by Miss Caldwell. From various directions, silently, warriors on horseback sprang into sight and moved dignifiedly toward the first comer, forming at the last a band of perhaps thirty men. They talked together for a moment, and then one by one, at regular intervals, detached themselves and began circling at full speed to the left, throwing themselves behind their horses and yelling shrill-voiced, but firing no shot as yet. "'They'll rush us,' speculated Alfred. "'We're too few to monkey with this way. "'This is a bluff.' The circle about the two was now complete. After watching the whirl of figures a few minutes and the motionless landscape beyond, the eye became dizzied and confused. "'They won't have no picnic,' went on Alfred, with a little chuckle. "'Dog holes is bad for them, as for us. "'They don't know how to fight.' If they was to come in on all sides, I couldn't handle them. But they always rush in a bunch, like damn fools. And then Alfred became suffused with blushes, and then commenced to apologize abjectly and profusely to a girl who had heard neither the word nor its atonement. The savages and the approaching fight were all she could think of. Suddenly one of the Sioux threw himself forward under his horse's neck and fired. The bullet went wild, of course, but it shrieked with the rising inflection of a wind squall through bared boughs, seeming to come ever nearer. Miss Caldwell screamed and covered her face. The savages yelled in chorus. The one shot seemed to be the signal for a spattering fire all along the line. Indians never clean their rifles, rarely get good ammunition, and are deficient in the philosophy of rear sights. Besides this, it's not easy to shoot at long range in a constrained position from a running horse. Alfred watched them contemptuously in silence. "'If they keep that up long enough, the wagon train may hear them," he said finally. "'I wish we weren't so far to northward.' "'There, it's coming,' he said, more excitedly. The chief had paused, and, as the warriors came to him, they threw their ponies back on their haunches and sat motionless. They turned, the ponies' heads toward the two. Alfred rose deliberately for a better look. "'Yes, that's right.' "'He said to himself, "'That's old Lone Pine, sure thing. "'I reckon we all's got to make a good fight.' "'The girl had sunk to the ground "'and was shaking from head to foot. "'It is not nice to be shot at "'in the best of circumstances, "'but to be shot at by odds of thirty to one, "'and the thirty of an outlandish "'and terrifying species, "'is not nice at all. "'Miss Caldwell had gone to pieces badly, "'and Alfred looked grave. "'He thoughtfully drew from its holster "'his beautiful colts with its ivory handle.' "'and laid it on the grass. "'Then he blushed hot and cold "'and looked at the girl doubtfully. "'A sudden movement in the group of savages "'as the war chief rode to the front "'decided him. "'Miss Caldwell?' he said. "'The girl shivered and moaned. "'Alfred dropped to his knees "'and shook her shoulder roughly. "'Look up here,' he commanded. "'We ain't got but a minute.' "'Composed a little by the firmness of his tone, "'she sat up. "'Her face had gone chalky, "'and her hair had partly fallen over her eyes. "'Now listen to every word,' he said rapidly. "'Those injuns is going to rush us in a minute. "'Perhaps I can break them, but I don't know. "'In that pistol there, I'll always save two shots. "'Understand? It's always loaded. "'If I see it's all up, "'I'm going to shoot you with one of them "'and myself with the other.' "'Oh!' cried the girl, her eyes opening wildly. "'She was paying close enough attention now.' "'And if they kill me first, he reached forward and seized her wrist impressively. "'If they kill me first, you must take that pistol and shoot yourself. "'Understand? 
"'Shoot yourself, in the head, here.' "'He tapped his forehead with his stubby forefinger. "'The girl shrank back in horror. "'Alfred snapped his teeth together and went on grimly. "'If they get hold of you,' he said with solemnity, "'they'll first take off every stitch of your clothes, "'and then when you're quite naked "'they'll stretch you out on the ground "'with a rawhide to each of your arms and legs, "'and then they'll drive a stake "'through the middle of your body into the ground "'and leave you there to die, slowly.' And the girl believed him, because, incongruously enough, even through her terror, she noticed that at this, the most immodest speech of his life, Alfred did not blush. She looked at the pistol lying on the turf with horrified fascination. The group of Indians, which had up to now remained fully a thousand yards away, suddenly screeched and broke into a run directly toward the dog town. There is an indescribable rush in a charge of savages. The little ponies make their feet go so fast. The feathers and trappings of the warriors stream behind so frantically. The whole attitude of horse and man is so eager that one gets an impression of fearful speed and resistless power. The horizon seems full of Indians. As if this were not sufficiently terrifying, the air is throbbing with sound. Each Indian pops away for general results as he comes jumping along and yells shrilly to show what a big warrior he is, while underneath it all is the hurried monotone of hoofbeats becoming ever louder as the roar of an increasing rainstorm on the roof. It does not seem possible that anything can stop them. Yet there is one thing that can stop them, if skillfully taken advantage of, and that is their lack of discipline. An Indian will fight hard when cornered, or when heated by lively resistance, but he hates to go into it in cold blood. As he nears the opposing rifle, this feeling gets stronger. So often a man with nerve enough to hold his fire can break a fierce charge merely by waiting until it is within fifty yards or so, and then suddenly raising the muzzle of his gun. If he had gone to shooting at once, the affair would have become a combat, and the Indians would have ridden him down. As it is, each has had time to think. By the time the white man is ready to shoot, the suspense has done its work. Each savage knows that but one will fall, but, cold-blooded, he does not want to be that one. And, since in such disciplined fighters it is each for himself, he promptly ducks behind his mount and circles away to the right or the left. The whole band swoops and divides like a flock of swift wings turns on a windy day. This knowledge Alfred relied on in the approaching crisis. The girl watched the wild sweep of the warriors with strained eyes. She had to grasp her wrist firmly to keep from fainting, and she seemed incapable of thought. Alfred sat motionless on a dog mound, his rifle across his lap, "'He did not seem in the least disturbed. "'Well, it's good to fight again,' he murmured, "'gently fondling the stock of his rifle. "'Come on, you devils!' he cried "'as a warrior's horse went down in a dog hole. "'I thought I would get you!' "'His eyes began to shine. "'The ponies came skipping here and there, "'nimbly dodging in and out between the dog holes. "'Their riders shot and yelled wildly, "'but none of the bullets went lower than ten feet.' The circle of their advance looked somehow like the surge shoreward of a great wave, and the similarity was heightened by the nodding glimpses of the light eagle's feathers in their hair. The run across the honeycombed plain was hazardous, even to Indian ponies, and three went down kicking, one after the other. Two of the riders lay stunned. The third sat up and began to rub his knee. The pony belonging to Miss Caldwell, becoming frightened, threw itself and lay on its side, kicking off frantically with its hind legs. At the proper moment, Alfred cocked his rifle and rose swiftly to his knees. As he did so, the mound on which he had been kneeling caved into the hole beneath it and threw him forward on his face. With a furious curse, he sprang to his feet 
and leveled his rifle at the thick of the press. The scheme worked. In a flash, every savage disappeared behind his pony, and nothing was to be seen but an arm and a leg. The band divided on either hand as promptly as though the signal for such a drill had given, and swept gracefully around in two long circles until it reined up motionless at nearly the exact point from which it had started on its imposing charge. And Alfred had not yet fired his shot. He turned to the girl with a short laugh. She lay face upward on the ground, staring at the sky with wide-open, horror-stricken eyes. In her brow was a small blackened hole, and under her head, which lay strangely flat against the earth, the grasses had turned red. Near her hand lay the heavy Colt forty-four. Alfred looked at her a minute without blinking. Then he nodded his head. "'Ah, it was because I fell down that hole. She thought they'd got me,' he said aloud to himself. "'Poor little gal. She hadn't off to have did it.' He blushed deeply, and turning his face away, pulled down her skirt until it covered her ankles. Then he picked up his Winchester and fired three shots. The first hit directly back of the ear one of the stunned Indians who had fallen with his horse. The second went through the other stunned Indian's chest. The third caught the Indian with a broken leg between the shoulders just as he tried to get behind his struggling pony. Shortly after, Billy Knapp and the wagon train came along. Thanks for joining us, everyone, for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We hope you enjoy the story, The Girl Who Got Rattled, by Stuart Edward White. We do appreciate reviews, especially from you Apple listeners, so if you have a chance, please do stop a moment and give 1001 Classic Short Stories a review. Reviews help new listeners find us, and we appreciate them very much. We also appreciate your support at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.